With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, And they were partying in the streets of Kingston, man, let me tell you, because my wife and this might be the only Olympic event where I'm not even necessarily rooting for the U.S. Like, (laughs) who doesn't want to see Usain Bolt just continue his dominant? I don't know what they're doing over there on that island and how they're training that man or those sprinters. Uh, You might have some inside information that you can't even disclose. But the guy just, it's complete domination. No, it's him and the rest of the field. No one even stands a chance. Well, Usain Roach has been (laughs) a world-class athlete for going on an unprecedented 12 years now. Not to include his junior uh, track and field period of time. Yeah. But uh, there was definitely dancing in the streets of the various hamlets of Kingston. Um, And probably the most watched event, the 100 meters. Uh, I wrote a post on uh, Facebook (laughs) about how uh, unbelievable uh, he is as a sprinter. Because it is rare to find someone that's six foot five. Oh yeah, yeah. That can uh, do what he's doing, and also he is not built like a sprinter. Yeah. They're usually 
shorter, shorter and stocky, stocky more powerfully yeah. built, mm-hmm. powerful legs for you know for explosive speed, right. short distance. Um, and he's like in this middle range, like, and this is why he probably excels in the 200 meters, right? Because, and I think if the hundred, like, if it was a 40 yard dash. He wouldn't do so well because no, it, yeah, he, he doesn't start too well because it takes a long time yeah, to get those long legs moving. But uh, what I wrote was he reminds me of Eric Dixon. Yeah, yeah. In that when his head comes up, that's it. It's over. Yeah, because that means he's fully uncoiled, and the effortless mechanics which you can't teach, they're gifted. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean these these guys spend years trying to perfect the the arm movement in conjunction with the stride to have as little, I mean, wasted motion as possible. Sure. Of course. And his is just uh, seamless. Oh yeah. It's seamless. I don't know if you saw the other guy, Justin Gatlin, the American. Yeah. We were watching. They showed some highlights of him in the previous race where as he got near the end, he started like wailing his arm. Like yeah. He was like getting ready to lose his balance. Yeah. So he came out of his mechanics. Right. You know what I mean? And he kind of did similar, almost a similar thing in this race. Um, but what, what amazed me and caused me to actually write my post was this guy pulls up with like five meters to go. Like he lets up off the gas. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like floor it all the way through the, right. the ribbon or the, through the, you know, through the, uh, through the end. Yeah. And he did the same thing when he set the world record. And they were saying, like, if this guy would have actually, like, didn't pick it, didn't, like, like put his hands up and, like, look at the crowd, but just was head down and, you know, right, and just the whole powering way. through, he could have hit, uh, like, under 9.5 or 9.4, which would have been probably untouchable forever. Mm-hmm. Nine, what, 9.58 is untouchable. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. So today he's supposed to run the 200 meters. That's right which is uh, his other event that he owns, mm-hmm. which I think is what he's actually prime built yeah, for. Yeah, he won't be touched there either. Because he gets, once he comes around that turn and hits that straightaway, that's it's, when you really see his, his speed. Yeah. Yeah, that's what the announcers were talking about, how, yeah, once the race hits 50 or 60, it's just his race because he doesn't decelerate. He's... He, they say it's actually a myth that he's not a good starter. Mm-hmm. He appears not to start well because that's where others try and win the race, mm-hmm. but that his start is actually not that bad. Mm-hmm. But once the racers hit 50 or 60 and come out of that dry phase, he, there's no let up. Yeah. He just continues while others start to yeah, slow down a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And that's what, that's what separates him. He was asked, Bob Costas is out there, you know, for the media, for the U S and he asked him, and Usain's a character, and it's funny. He doesn't come across as cocky. Mm-hmm. He just comes across as someone, you know, who's having fun and likes the show or whatever, but doesn't come across as arrogant. But Costa's like, I have to ask you the question, you know, are, are you the the most well-known guy in Jamaica, like the biggest figure in Jamaica? And, uh, you know, he laughed a little bit. And he's, you know, I, pro- you know, probably at this point I probably am, and um, he had made mention of, like, I think I might have just passed Bob Marley or whatever, mm-hmm. who, who might, who's like number two now. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, no, they show the uh, live flash to the island. and He did not, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they show the live flash to the island, and the, everyone, everyone is in the street mm-hmm. celebrating when, when, that guy, when that guy runs. He's something to watch. 
if they would have kept the cameras, they they would for for maybe an extra five minutes, you would have seen the police batons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The police don't play around. We give you about five minutes to celebrate. After that, get That's get it. off the streets. <laughs> That's it. The batons would have came out. Oh man, but that was the third world justice. <laughs> is it um is it the medal two hundred tonight or is it just uh just like a semifinal or a, or a, a heat? Uh. I would think they're getting because the way they did the hundred meters was they had the they had the two semis and then, and then an the hour final, later with the, the final. So uh-huh. I would think it would be similar to that. Okay. Um, I hope so because you know keep stretching it out. Yeah. But and then you got the four by one hundred yeah, relay. Yeah, four by one. So um, and he doesn't even run the last leg. I think they I said think this year he's anchoring, but I thought he usually ran the third. Third, third, and yeah. that's because. Through measurement, I guess the third is the longest. Mm-hmm. Um, but they said he'll be anchoring this okay. year. I, I haven't seen Yusafa Powell, so I don't know if he's injured or what. Uh, I don't know if he made it. There. I don't know if he made the huh. the finals. Uh, Interesting. His compatriot Johan Blake. Yeah, I watched him made in the final. I don't know if he made it. Um, I find it interesting that he's retiring. Um, from, you know, this is the last Olympics, and I think he's going to have one more, like, international competition, and then he's retiring, turns 30 soon. Um, so this is no small feat because you're you're not in your prime at right. 30 and for track and field. Right. There's other sports where at 30 you are in your mental and physical, right. you know, this is it. Mm-hmm. And you've got this four-year window between 28 and 32 Basketball, football, even baseball. You know what I mean? That this is where it all comes together for you. Your understanding of the game mentally match and then your, your match tools. with your physical maturation. Track and field, it's, you know, it's that 20 to 26, 27, right. you know, range just because of the, you know, what it requires. Right. So, uh, yeah. Interesting stuff. <laughs> Training camp report 2016. All I I can say is uh, so far this year, there hasn't been a lot of, you know, breaking news, ACL tear, you know, from this person, that person, from that camp, this camp. True. It's been very, very few. True. Um, But there has been a couple of pectoral muscles and where are your pectorals? The chest. Chest? Yeah. Tell us, these guys are doing something different in terms of their workouts to be carrying these type of muscles, their biceps and pecs. Either and, that or or they're just practicing new techniques. There's a lot of hand fighting, like to maybe the common fan that you don't see when an alignment yeah, go up against. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of hand fighting, and yeah. so maybe trying different kinds of swims and things that cause your arms to stretch in different mm-hmm. kind of ways. Um because you're trying to swim on a 300-pound lineman. There's a lot of force on the back end of that to push off. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that also, like you said, maybe the needed strength in there is translating into the weight room. And so, yeah, we're putting muscles under different kinds of pressure that but, we haven't yet. But you yet. would think there would be corresponding stretching. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of to, course. So to, to, to you know minimize yeah these new injuries that are otherwise occurring. what are you paying? You've never heard of guys uh, tearing bicep muscles before. No. But, but the last uh-uh. two or three years, it's like I mean you know yeah torn biceps. Ray Lewis torn and biceps. this guy, yeah. you know, torn bicep muscles. You never heard of that. Yeah. So. Um, but well, no, it's been quiet on the ACL front. Well, yeah, except for our 49ers who, who had a Who'd you lose? third string or potential third, Thaddeus Lewis. Okay. Chip brought him from Philly because um, he knows the system. He mm-hmm. actually played almost like two and a half quarters in the first preseason game. What position? Quarterback. Oh, okay. And um, he was on a scramble and, it, you know, one of those non-contact deals. He tried to cut back real quick and you could see a little torque in the knee and he uh you know it's funny some guys blow their acl and the second it happens they're on the ground balls loose and you know here comes the stretcher people to and he was just stretcher ambulance the guys in the white suits <laughs> right everything and he just kind of limped back into the huddle um and i can't remember if he threw, he may have even thrown one more pass but then at the end of the series you know kind of was a little slow getting over to the sideline and you could see him walking back under his own power into mm-hmm. the locker room, didn't return. And then the reports, yeah, done for the season, torn ACL. So they signed this morning. I don't know if the name rings a bell to you, Christian Ponder. Uh, I remember him from 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> with, the Vi- right. with the Vikings. With the Vikings. Exactly. Uh, so uh, who knows? He might already be the best quarterback we got just on that signing, but uh, but yeah, no, no, no major injuries. Like you said, it's been kind of been kind of quiet on that front. Did you get to watch any of your boys first? Uh, yeah, on the NFL Rewind or whatever. Well, I watched the uh, the tape of, yep. the, of, of the game, and uh, I was impressed with uh, their their draft fourth round pick, uh, current backup quarterback. He um, looked sharp. They're talking about him on the radio and in the media. Yeah, he looked, he pretty, looked sharp. He looked pretty good, but the proof is in the pudding for the next game and the game after that and whatnot. And, yeah. and the the eventual uh, interception, <laughs> run back for <laughs> right, a touchdown. The pick six. As Parcells would say, you know, it's not it's, – it's how you come back from a 35-7 to 7 drubbing. You right. Know, not when everything is all rosy and peachy. Right. That, not the game after right. you served up the 35-7. to seven. Exactly. So, um, you know – He's not going into Canton yet, so we'll see. Uh, but I was uh, extremely disappointed with the uh, the run defense, and so hopefully they'll get that corrected. Looks like they were just getting blown off the ball, and then second the second level miss block. So what would have been a four or five yard gain became eight and nine. Yeah, yeah. Miss ta- I mean not I mean not miss block, make miss tackles or so. poor routes taken by the linebackers. A lot a lot of that bad angles. And, yeah, and whatnot. So um, it was a mixed bag, which what you, is what you expect in the first uh, preseason game. So we'll yeah. see. Did you, uh, so I can get a, a point of view from an outsider, did you catch any of the Niners yeah, game? Yeah, I, I did. Your um, thoughts? It was horrid. It was, uh, <laughs> it was distasteful. Um, and uh, they, they were playing with an energy to me that was a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, other than that, I think by the when I was watching, um, is is Thaddeus Lewis is he a black dude? Yeah. Okay, that's when he was in the game. But I missed when whenever he got injured because I wasn't wasn't 
right. studying them. Right, but, right. Um, but their back end, I don't know if, if it was the third string that was in the second string, seemed to be playing pretty good D. Their DBs, yeah. yeah. Um, tight coverage and making plays on the ball and things like that. Um, really didn't see any uh, blazing pass rush. But no. again, it was third string. Um, but we'll see. Well, I think games two and three are really. That's what they always, yeah, yeah. that's the old adage in the preseason. Three, like game two, you're introducing a little more and your starters play a little longer. Game three is kind of like the tune-up. Yeah. Your starters might go a full half, yeah. except coaches are still. Game four is when guys get career-threatening injuries. <laughs> That's exactly right. Game four, you don't guys see a whole are, lot. Guys are selling out to make the team. They'll do anything. Trip you. <laughs> yeah, right? They're doing anything. That's clip, true. Clip you in the rear. Anything. Watch out for the old leg whip. The leg whips. <laughs> anything. Yeah, that's uh, that's how hang them highs. Game four usually goes, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. The season is starting a little later this year than usually. I'm I was sure, surprised like, on September the first 11th. weekend in September is usually when it starts, but because uh, Labor Day, like it used to kind of coincide, but mm-hmm. now it'll be the second. So that's that on the the football report, the training camp report. Uh, let's go to um, – here we got some news. Oh. <laughs> We're in the newsroom now. Oh, yeah. Uh, word on the street is we have an update on our uh, Juan Carlos. Uh, indeed we do. Multiple shows ago. Uh, I'll – Toss it over to our uh, correspondent, Chris Morales. <laughs> Absolutely. For the update. So we do have a bit of an update, and this is, uh, I guess the cliche would be bittersweet, or there's a silver lining here, but. Um, and, and we will uh, dice into it, so go ahead. Our, our guy, Juan Carlos, has suffered a little bit of a setback, um, a relapse. Uh, I don't know exactly. I can't recall where we left off in his story, but I know that there was there was an initial reaction that he had to the mother of his child calling the authorities when when he was under the influence, mm-hmm. and he was not a fan of that. But after thinking about it and some talks, came to realize, you know what, the right thing was done, and me being upset is out of my own stuff and I need to look in the mirror on this one. Stop blaming her and saying it's her fault and all right, that stuff. Right. Right. Um, so he came around on that, came around on that, uh, was doing well and what he had to do to appease the courts to, um, make sure he could be a part of his daughter's life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, since then an interesting twist, a plot twist, mm-hmm. um, where the mother of the child now has, suffered a relapse and mm-hmm. um i guess beyond a relapse maybe is is in it mm-hmm. involved now currently using and uh when he got wind of this you know that his daughter might be in a compromising position mm-hmm. um due to just the environments that you might find yourself in if mm-hmm. you are using uh using drugs uh he went to try and remove his daughter from said situation and apparently the, the fire was too hot, 
Uh, the lion's den was. We, we, we don't laugh out of disrespect. No. But when you when you hear the go ahead. Yeah, the lion's den was thriving, and so as he throws himself into the ring of fire to try and remove the little one, um, it was it was too hard to the overcome ten, the, the temptations. Temptation. <laughs> the temptations of the of the scene of the scene that were present overcame him. Overcame him and. He suffered a setback at that moment as well and has suffered a relapse. Um, why I So now the child is left to wonder who who which parent is uh is, is taking care of me here. That's exactly right. So fortunately, um we have uh a grandparent involved in the situation, grandmother who um God bless grandma. God bless grandma who is um more than willing to have the little granddaughter in mm-hmm. with her. And so she's safe mm-hmm. is where she currently is. And another benefit or bonus to this is that the grandmother and Juan Carlos have a working relationship, mm-hmm. uh, which is also, you know, a good thing. This a good is, thing. So I presume this is the maternal. That's correct. That is, that is correct. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an odd plot twist that he hears that, Hey, you know, the you know my child's mother, uh, and we didn't know that she was in recovery or no, uh, uh-uh. even have I didn't, these yeah. these issues. So that wasn't that was something totally unknown to us. But okay, but that he hears that you know she's you know full blown you know and relapse you know in the crack house you know let's tell it like it is okay yeah and you know child's in the mix and so he's going to you know going to the rescue. And, you know, on the surface, that seems okay. All right. You you know, you're the dad, you're doing your thing. You hear your child is in, like you stated, in, in a possible compromising situation and you want to go to remove her. That's right. How in the world do you arrive at the scene of the crimes, plural, <laughs> All right. the crimes in action, and you're – and, and we don't know. Do we know if, if if the daughter was at the scene or he went to the scene and the daughter wasn't there, but the mother was there, and then he decided to just join the party? I believe the daughter was at the scene. So that makes it even worse. The daughter's at the scene. I but... preface that with I believe when, when when Juan Carlos was retelling the story, that's how I understood it. Okay. That part might be so hazy. We'll, we'll but... go with that and, 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 and provide uh, context. Yeah. So if the daughter was at the scene, so you have him going to the rescue, quote unquote, uh, to uh, remove, see if the child is on the scene, remove the child from the scene, uh, hopefully head being screwed on properly, mind focused, maybe provide some direction and support for the mother. Mm -hmm. Um, And if that's not being receptive, received, then you just step off. You know, and, you know, take the child and, you know, put the child in good hands if you're not in a position to, you know, uh, take her or what have you. But no, that's not what happens. He arrives at the scene of the crimes. And we say that, you know, in quotations, of course, he arrives at the scene. Mom is doing her thing, not the right thing. Child is there, probably wondering what the hell's going on. Why am I here mm-hmm. in this strange place with all this smoke, funny smells, 
people I don't know. Um, dad arrives. Oh, here's my dad here to remove me That's to right. safety. I feel safe now. Dad looks around and says, oh, wait a second. <laughs> people look like they're having too much yeah, fun. What am I missing out on here? What's going on? What's yeah. in that room? What's behind me? And instead of saying the most important thing in the world is sitting right there, let me grab that and and step off or maybe, you know, say a couple of things to the mother, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And if the situation seems like it's verbally going to go sideways, you end the conversation and you step off with the child and get the child to safety. No, he doesn't do that. So he commits two... Uh, Recovery felonies. Yeah, felony number one is uh, he himself um, falling into the trap, allowing himself to be duped, yep. and and falling falling for the okie doke. Um, and then uh, felony number two with special circumstances, uh, not uh, doing the right thing on behalf of his child. Right. And. The special circumstances will carry extra, extra consequences. Extra weight. Yes. You cannot do that to a child. A child always comes, gets put in the front, comes first. That's right. And so, uh, so Juan Carlos is going to be coming around on a more regular basis to uh, touch base, touch base, check in, uh, do what he needs to do with, again. Another silver lining, because there are many people that we have seen over the years that once they have taken that slip, fallen off the ledge, gone out, it they may never come back from it. Mm-hmm. But the instant kind of, no, can't do this, need to make a change quick, arrest this immediately. No pun intended, you arrest a situation. Right. Yep. Uh, is, is a good thing. So You get judged on what you do. After the mistake is made, after the bad, not mistake, bad decision is made, do you have a realization and take corrective action or do you say F it and go in deep? Very similar to the quarterback uh, comment you were making. How do you react after the pick six, yeah. after the 35 to seven defeat? Mm-hmm. You hold your head up high and say, I need to learn from this and yeah move forward or do you allow yourself to wallow in it Mm -hmm. all the way to the CFL? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, those Canadian dollars pay well. That's true. Free, free medical. If you, uh, you know, can drop your ego and pride. (laughs) That's right. Oh yeah, that's right. So, so, uh, I have to ask our humble correspondent if you can, uh, promise us a, uh, update. Yeah. In a couple oh, of yeah. weeks on our next show. A couple weeks' do, uh, time. Some more fine details and uh, and where he's at at that moment. That's right. We should certainly have an update in a couple weeks' time. All right. Uh, appreciate the... Um, the... Uh... All right. Let's get to our topic of the day. It's a big one. Boy, you must uh I don't know what you were thinking last night or this weekend putting us into this one, but this is a a whopper and I can't even believe as I think back to it we've never had I mean this always comes up but never 
been our focus. No. This stems from the gripe session that was done a few weeks ago. Mm, okay. And one of the things that I do when I do a gripe session is I always started off by asking the question of the family, do you trust me? And then if anyone says, no, I don't trust you, I then allow them the freedom to not have to say anything. Sure. If you don't trust me, then you don't have to participate. And there's never been a case where someone has said that and then not participated. Usually they, they've said it, and as time has gone on and the gripe session has moved on, they eventually participate in some way, shape, or form. Right. So um, the, the statement of, no, I don't trust, uh, just reminded me of how in, in, in treatment in general – the therapeutic community more specifically, it's used, you know, as a defense mechanism, as a wall, as a stiff arm to make progress, participate, Mm -hmm. get engaged. This is not to say that people don't have legitimate and valid reasons for why they don't trust. Of course they do. Right, right. Of course they do. However, you know, back in the day, you know, we would take no mercy upon them. I think that's in the OCG Bible somewhere. Take no mercy upon them. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Verse 17, chapter 2. Uh, and what I mean by that is, in understanding that, yes, we know intellectually and even uh, sympathetically and even empathetically why someone would not trust, we do our best to not allow them to sit in it. And so how we attack it, depending on what information we have about them, and usually the most popular information is, well, you know, everyone was out there ripping and running, doing their thing, copping and, you know, and, and, and then whatnot. Right. Right. And so we throw that back in their face. Not in a negative way, but in a way to get them to think, wait a second now. You say the reason why you don't want to share, the reason why you don't want to participate, etc., is because you don't trust. But when you was out there doing your thing, you trusted when you went to the cop man for some marijuana that you wasn't getting oregano. Or something else fake. That's right. Now they use fake marijuana. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the irony, 25 years later. <laughs> right. Or that if you were going to cop heroin or meth or whatever, and it, you know, and it was in the you know white powder form, that you wasn't getting rat poison or you wasn't getting borax or you wasn't. No, you trusted that whatever it is that you were paying for, you were putting your money through the hole. I don't know how they do it out here, but you know. Around the way, you know, be it through a doorknob hole, you know what I mean? Sure, sure. That whatever you were getting back was going to be legit. So you had some level of trust in the negative life that you were living in that world. Trust had to exist. You had to, you, you had to put your trust that the dealer was giving you legitimate product. And then also, just as 
everyday humans, we don't often think about the ways in which we just, I call it like blind trust. You know how we have blind faith? Blind trust in, in so many areas. You, you get on a bus. You got to have blind trust that that driver knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Can can wheel that bus and, and handle emergency situations. Or a pilot. You get on that plane. <laughs> there ain't no going or up to the cockpit pilot. and tapping them on the shoulder and say, hey, you hey, see man, that you thing? You took that <laughs> turn a little uh... Hey, you took that turn a little fast there. Slow it down back, you know. You know That's whatnot. right. There's nothing. You can. You might be able to ding, ding that stewardess, and after a while, they're going to ignore you. So you got to have that blind trust that the pilots know what they're doing. And even if that plane goes into a dive, they they're not on the loudspeaker. Say, yeah, we gotta go. We gotta drop real quick to ten thousand feet because we lost our cabin pressure. They're not gonna be telling you that. Right. You gotta trust. So you think about your daily living and all the areas where you trust another human being that they're gonna do. We'll keep it on planes. You gotta trust that the maintenance people are on the job, not goofing off. Mm-hmm. You know. If you're like me and you only like to fly Boeings, you trust that the Boeing people, <laughs> you know, when you know that when they were not on their brakes. Yeah, that were, engineer wasn't having a bad day. Yeah, when they called for 13 rivets, the guy didn't put 12 in and said, "Damn, I can't find that other hole." Eff it. <laughs> no, nobody's gonna notice. Right. And it peels back at 40,000 feet. So you just trust that people do what they're expected to do in your daily throughout your daily life. And so those are just extreme examples of things that we don't even think about. We don't think about it. Some people do. White knuckle travelers do. You know, people that, you know, just have uh, high anxiety, high anxiety may yeah. think of these things. But people who aren't that aren't really paying attention to these things. So it's blind trust. So addicts who come into treatment, you know, you have. You know, people who are extroverted and introverted, so an extroverted person may, in a more quicker fashion, get involved more easier, easily, start to share themselves, and, you know, just by virtue of their personality, mm. okay? Introverted person, a shy person may need some coaxing and so on and so forth. But when we're talking about involvement and engagement and sharing, we're talking about really, you know, the nitty-gritty stuff that really has contributed to your drug use and so on and so forth. Yeah. Getting down and dirty, getting into that gut. And, yeah, people don't trust with stuff like that because oftentimes it hurts to talk about. Um, It hurts to relive, relitigate, and... Then there is the 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 future thought of it's going to hurt again if they then use it against me. Mm. You know what I mean? So you're trying to fight through that that thinking. And so sometimes, yeah, you have to beat them over the head with logic of the lifestyle that you lived and the areas within that lifestyle where you did trust. For the reasons that you wanted to and how if you can do it in those circumstances for those reasons, you should be willing to and you are worthy of and you are worth the risk of giving it a shot to save your life. 
Right, and that's the big thing is that you're taking the risk for the potential payoff or the potential reward, which is more important than anything you're going to do. Right. Because it, it's for you in the end. So I used to, not, not as much anymore, but back in the day when we would question clients about why they weren't getting involved or why they weren't doing A, B, or C, and it was, I don't trust um, we would jab them, boom, real quick mm-hmm. with it. You know, we're not as fast to jab now. We might uh, rope a dope a little bit, you know, and and, <laughs> and uh, and, yeah. and and try and, and and get a little bit more information as to where where it's coming from. E- even though in the end we find out that usually, not all the time, but usually, the cause is the same. Addicts haven't changed that much in terms of, uh, you know, what they're doing out there. Um, they've gotten younger. That's true. That, you know, in terms That's of true. You know, they've gotten younger in treatment, but in terms of what they're doing, it hasn't changed. So, you know, as providers, we got to, uh, we we have to fight through that wall. Because we, we understand, they don't understand, we understand how important it is to get them to the point of where that they do trust and then are willing to open up. Mm-hmm. But there's no way you can get out and, and, get, and, and get through and get away from us um, still believing in that excuse. And again, I use the word excuse, not in a negative sense. I'm just calling it as what it is. Or is there a better way, a better word than excuse? A less a less uh, a less off- term that can be interpreted as offensive. What's another word for excuse? Reason. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Same thing at the end of the day. Um, the peers. This is where the peers come in. Um, If you have older peers who have already crossed that threshold, you know they've 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 made that leap, mm-hmm. and and they see that oh I'm I'm alive I've survived it I'm I've not, nothing bad has happened to me, okay <laughs> yeah yeah you do the uh, personal inventory yeah. check my, my fingers are still hey, here my, my toes hands are still attached wow yeah. okay so far so good, and you can then translate that and share that with others. Who are still in, you know, in the uh, I don't trust mode. Um, that's ultimately where it's going to have to come from. We can only c- provide the context, right, right, of the the logic of or the the illogic of of their reasoning. But their peers are the ones that have to now utilize where they are and and how. How did I get past the I don't trust? What did I do? And then the younger member can then see, oh, okay, so you took a risk. You did a little bit, shared a little bit. There was no, re- you know, nothing bad happened. Okay. That's right. Matter of fact, something good happened. Someone said, hey, I, I was there once. I identified with that. I, that happened to me. I did that. You know, so you got positive feedback or identifying feedback. Uh, that made you see that I'm, I'm no different. I'm not you, special. You found a mirror. Exactly. And that's big, too, because I believe 
some of the hesitation to trust other than you prefaced this at the beginning of the topic that people have valid reasons and things that they've been through in their life that have given them a valid excuse, if that's the word we're going to use, to and not trust. To include sometimes trust being violated that's right. significantly. That's right. And, and I think a small branch to that in this specific environment can be, and I hear this all the time with clients, the, the hesitation to open up that pertains to trust is that nobody will understand me. Nobody has been through what I've been through or, or you know, if, if I say this, what's the point? Because nobody else can relate to this. And I'll be damned if the one time that they take a risk and, uh, and a good, you know, counselor, whoever's running the group will have a good assessment of, oh, this is this person's first time opening up. And I may know some of the reasons or, or hesitations as to why or why it's taken this long might hear so-and-so, yeah, I'm going to put an issue on the table here. And pause the group just by a show of hands. How many people have had something similar happen to them? And as the hands go up, you look in amazement at this mm-hmm. person who just shared in, oh, my God, really? Well, that was special. And, yeah, and so-and-so. Boy, unique. Why is your hand up? Oh, yeah, the what you just said about what happened with you and your mom or – you and your brother or this, you know, this time in your childhood. Yeah. Uh, uh, this, this happened to me at this age in my life too. And wow. Like there are people who have gone through something similar mm-hmm. and, and who can relate. And that is a very powerful moment mm-hmm. when you see that your deepest, darkest fears or secrets are, you're not alone in that world that there are other people that can relate and who have been through it. And you've got mirrors Mm -hmm. everywhere. And that, that moment can be really major for a breakthrough in, Oh, wow. You know, maybe now that I've said it a little bit in group, but I saw whose hands went up and I, I get along with so-and-so and and -and so-and-so said, Hey, reach out to me during dinner Mm -hmm. or at off the floors or when we got some downtime, Mm -hmm. we can chat about it. Oh man, we start we start building up, and we call it the uh, the trust hump. Getting over that trust hump, okay. And it's imperative, and you tell me if you agree or not, but I think it's imperative that the client, the addict, get over that trust hump within that first trimester. First, yeah, because yep. you got you got to get rolling. Ninety, you got to get rolling, and <clears throat> you can't be. Moving into that second trimester of of, re, of the you know the, the initial recovery phase, and still be, you know, you know, uh, bent over, sure, arms sure, twisted and 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 hold, hold, holding on to the the stuff that needs to come out. I do agree. Um, I would say, or I would preface that with, I agree. I don't believe that everything has needed to hit mm-hmm. the table yet, mm-hmm. but you're, yes, that first step into the dark, mm-hmm. that, that first, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put something major on the table. Like you said, uh, overcoming or toe dip, toe tip, 
Toe yeah, dip. Right, whatever. right. Yeah. Something that required you, like you said, to get over that initial trust hump. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, second trimester, we, we've seen, like you said, we've done the, the personal inventory. We checked to make sure our head's still attached and we're still breathing and everything is okay. Second trimester, we're expecting, yeah, now, now we're we're expecting gonna, everything to open up. Well, yeah, we're going to get we, into all the dirt. We want the treasure chest. That's right. Yeah, I agree with that completely. So <clears throat> some of the workarounds, I think, that we've spoke about, which I think uh, we as the counselors need to drive home, are not only explaining the logic or the illogic behind their their thinking um, while simultaneously acknowledging their experience mm-hmm. uh, that they may have that has contributed to their lack of trust mm-hmm. or hesitancy to uh, um, take the leap, but uh, not allowing that legitimacy of their feelings, and I emphasize their feelings, to dictate uh, – the fact that you got to get over it <laughs> <laughs> right at some point yeah that's and the bottom line sooner than later and so we that is why we're going to push you and we're going to throw um or in in you know uh, illuminate um the scene for you of your of your lifestyle mm-hmm. and show you how you actually do have the capacity to trust. Right. It's just that you pick and choose. Of course. Okay. Sure. And so if you're choosing to not trust now, why? Why why are you choosing to not trust now? Yeah. What is it about this environment or this what is it about this environment? Or what is it about what you need to uh trust with mm-hmm. that makes you hesitant to trust? Right. Um, so th- there's many, you know, avenues that it can branch to, to eventually get to the destination that we're trying to get to, and the avenues depend on what the, the you know, the individual uh, circumstances are with that person, what they're, you know, what they're bringing, what they're feeding back to you. Sure. Um, but again, there aren't too many different avenues. You know, you know, we we aren't all that different when it comes to our um, experiences in the life. You know, <laughs> right? The, some right. Of the, some of the fine details may be different, but ultimately, the experiences uh, aren't that far off from each other, and that's what makes uh, the, the the mirror um, concept uh, so real. As you you know alluded to, is that you know one person can stand up in the family and speak to an experience that they had and half the family could identify with it. Yeah. Yep. Which in the beauty of the, um, the TC and in even other programs on TC base, um, when half the family can identify with an experience that you've had, it makes it so much easier for you to number one, realize that, okay, wow. This is not something special, something unique, something weird, just, you know, that I've experienced, but that, hey, other people have experienced it too. And I can now start the process of purging it from my system, getting it off my chest. Um, so it's no longer weighing me down mentally and emotionally and psychologically, et cetera. Mm-hmm. 
They say talk is cheap. And I agree. And thank thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness it is cheap because if talk was expensive, I don't know what we would do. <laughs> yeah, cuz we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to afford it. That's for sure. And we wouldn't be able to say, I mean, we I mean we're talking about trust. Like Alan Iverson talking about practice, man. Yeah, practice. <laughs> and you know, one of the unwritten written philosophies, and I believe it was one of the Elite Eight, if I'm not mistaken, that we talked about mm-hmm. last year or early this year, was trust in your environment, right? That is correct, right? Because that was one of your personal favorites, yes. too. Yes. After and to so be aware is to be alive. When you extend it out. Because we're, 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 what we're talking about here is the individual trusting so that they can open themselves up and, and, and participate and engage and et cetera. But when you extend the trust out to the unwritten philosophy of trust in your environment, mm-hmm. um, this is what we mean by the peers. This is where they come in. And I can't emphasize, overemphasize, reemphasize enough. It's just impossible to overemphasize how important the peers are in making this thing work. Yeah. They make it work. And so they are, quote unquote, the environment in the trust in your environment. I know, yes, it includes us, the staff, and so on and so forth. But ultimately, ultimately, it's the peers that are the environment. And so when we say that, that's the part where they come in to help you, the person who doesn't trust, and kind of lead. You, know, you talked about the, you know, the darkness a little bit. They're the ones with that little candle light or a little tiny little flashlight, like kind of lighting the way for you to, you know, guiding you through the process of of opening yourself up and trusting. Yep. And I got to be honest, uh, my, my patience for, uh, in terms of how long, how long do you wait for a person to, you know, dip their foot in the water, so to speak. And the patience, at least mine, and, and, and just the reality of treatment. Uh, patience is short in terms of time because time is short. Yeah, and yeah. that's beyond the you control I mean? of yourself yeah. or us. Yeah, so because we know time is short, you know, we, you know, can have to be pushy, <laughs> sometimes overbearing. Um, and that isn't really overly conducive to get the response that you want. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's the reality in which we exist in. Okay. Okay. And so it then just causes us in terms of trying to illuminate the the, the logics of their uh, experience to be uh, more – we have to just finesse it more than we used to. It's just the reality. Sure. So. Yeah. Well, obviously, we have to – Every, it's a trickle down effect. Yeah. Everybody governs everybody, you know, and and that governing goes all the way to the top. But obviously, if we use the term back in the day, if you have 
18 months to work with somebody, you can be a little more patient with an individual who's maybe having a little more of a rough go of it. But when the reality is set to them today, straightforward and how treatment is delivered, look, my friend, you will have 90 days in residential. You'll be off to outpatient for X amount of time. If you want to get this, you're going to have to kind of go out on a limb on Mm. some things. Mm -hmm. And that, like you said, it's not to be harsh or to be mean. It's just, these are the facts. These are the facts. And hopefully you're, you came here to begin with for you. Mm -hmm. So go time. We used to have the time to uh, metaphorically speaking, pull teeth. Mm -hmm. Um, And take a while to finesse the process. That's right. Um, And as you stated, that's not the current reality anymore. So now we have to kind of finesse the process in a different way in a shorter period of time. Um, And sometimes that doesn't look or sound to the ear of the the recipient, the ear of the client, the ear of the addict, uh, you know, I don't know, it may not sound uh, welcoming, enticing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> loving, <laughs> right, et cetera. Sounds um, harsh. Yeah, it's so, yeah. Um, but there is love behind the harsh. Of course. And, 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 and more importantly, there's love behind the urgency um, because we want you to get it uh, and be exposed to it. And understand the reason why it's important for you to trust in this environment. And when I say what I just said, trust in this environment, I mean trust while you're in the treatment environment because it's necessary for you to in order to open up, share your life experiences, share your life uh, events, um, how they've made you feel, um, how you feel about them currently, Um and what you want to do with those things? Mm-hmm. How do you want to resolve them? Um, do some are some unresolvable, but just require acceptance? You know, we don't know these things until they're put on the table, right? And and the the depth of these things can range from A to Z. They can be mild to very serious. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, but we don't know. And and of course, there's a time, there's a place. Or when things should be discussed and talked about, we understand that. We're just talking about the process. The process of the trust. And saying, I don't trust, um, ultimately cannot, cannot be a fallback retort for you in the recovery process if you want to move forward in right. the recovery process. Right which is what we're ultimately trying to say. Right. That's all I got. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, happy that you picked this topic because it, this is very much so at the core of a lot of the decision-making process, mm-hmm. whether it be valid or invalid, mm-hmm. because Now, we did say that there are people in probably the vast majority without, you know, I don't want to throw out arbitrary statistics. However, sidebar, there is a website somewhere that has posted the statistic that 
47% of statistics are made up on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to scratch your head as even you're reading that one. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll say that the vast majority of clients that we see in this field and in our program and in the recovery process in general definitely have valid reasons what, uh, not to trust or why trusting is difficult for them because mm-hmm. of things that they've had to experience. Mm-hmm. You will, however, get that one or two that maybe doesn't have such a valid reason, but hears it and thinks, oh, that's a, that's a powerful one. They're going to have a hard time uh, telling me I should if I can sell this well enough and just use it as an excuse um, not to share, not to participate. I know that so we get those too. This is a little bit ahead of your, uh, ahead of your time, but they'll, they'll use the Sergeant Schultz excuse. You'll get nothing out of me. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Try as you may, you'll get nothing. Exactly. <laughs> um, one thing that I guess I'd like to ask you is: Do you see the trust kind of blocking or being a barrier to getting into what really needs to happen for someone to recover? More so of an issue today versus, you know, the '80s East Coast. Uh, other experience that you've had? No, but the tactic to uh, break through the lack of trust <laughs> was different. Okay. Um, and to me, the tactics are still functional and usable today, mm-hmm. especially if time is of the essence. And that's why I started out with attacking the logic. Sure. Yeah. The okay. reasoning behind. Sure. Even even granting the legitimacy and the validity of the reasons behind why someone doesn't trust, you still have to attack the logic because the ultimate goal is to get them to put their toe in the water. Right. And once they get their toe in the water, slowly but surely they'll, they'll warm up to it and realize, okay, I got to do this in order to accomplish my ultimate goal. Yep. I can't leave out of here with dark secrets. I can't leave out of here without exploring difficult times in my life and circumstances and events and so on and so forth that have impacted me, contributed to decisions that I've made in my life that have not been to my benefit. I have to explore, evaluate, and analyze all of that. And the only way that can happen is if I put it on the table. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I used to tell clients and I would tell clients today is there is nothing that you can reveal There's nothing that you can say. There's nothing you can speak to in the treatment environment that, A, we have not heard, that someone else has not experienced, and more importantly, that is going to cause you more pain than the original experience. Okay? If anything, it's going to be the opposite. It's going to be the unloading of weight. Because you've been carrying this around for God knows how long. Yeah. Okay. Who have you shared it with? Who have you explored it with? Who have you analyzed it with? Who Who have you went come to the conclusion of of resolution or of acceptance or what have you? And there's oftentimes more than we're talking like this is just one thing, like one big thing. There's like sometimes there's like seventeen small things. Yeah. yeah. Or five medium sized things or two big things. We don't know, but whatever it may be. They all require exploration. Right. And there can be no exploration without trusting and sharing. And, you know, 
we can't put you in a headlock. No one can do that. Okay. Right. And it's interesting how, you know, so we know trusted environment is one of our unwritten philosophies. And as we, when we were going through our elite eight, one of the points we kept making was how at the beginning of each one, we were going over them. We, we made it clear that it's almost impossible to talk about one without somehow touching on another, mm-hmm. you know, and That's right. one of the ones that somehow has like tentacles to a number of their own philosophies is no free lunch. Yeah. Because in order to trust, Requires no free lunch. Yeah. You got to give something up. That's right. In order to trust. You know what I mean? And so it it ain't free. You know, you you don't just uh, um, come to the the, the point of, okay, I'm going to trust now without within yourself giving up something. Now, what that something is may be different for each person, but you, you do give something up before you get to that point. Right. And so... In essence, that's like no free lunch. I agree. Yeah. So, well said. Can go on and on and on because you know it has tentacles that goes in so that's, many different yeah, directions. That's right. That's right. It touches everything. But that's uh, well said. Perfect. Well, thank you all for uh, folks who are listening to the first half. We do see we have some callers on the line eagerly awaiting the recovery support time so they can share with us their questions, comments, or concerns. And we have some wild and crazy uh, uh, X-Files today. Perfect, perfect. So we're going to take a quick music break. Uh, Please be patient with us, folks. We will get to you on the other side when we will get right into our recovery sport time.
Coming up next is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you. X Files. <laughs> no! <laughs>
they still back on the air? The new the the new, oh, the new old version. I'm not super big into like the whole following media and celebs. My wife is, but uh, I think they tanked. Oh, okay, is what I understand. Oh. It, the comeback was uh, not as successful as they had hoped. I believe. Yeah, I think once it got to Netflix, they. Uh, that's it. That's it. Yeah. It's over. You're done. Um. All right. Let's hit the X Files. Let's do it. I understand we have someone writing us from the land of potatoes. Yeah, we'll definitely get to that one. I think. <laughs> I think we were going over it. It's kind of way in the back, but let's see what we got here. Jerry from Vallejo. What is the connection between relapse and the true desire? That gives one the co- compulsion to indulge. Hmm. The difference between the two. The connect. No, no. The connection. Oh, the connection between, between the relapse and the true desire that gives one the compulsion to indulge. So, for me, contained within the question is the answer. Right. And it's the word. Desire. Right, right, right. Exactly. Uh, if the desire exists, it's only a matter of time. True. It's only a matter of time. I agree with that and 100%. You have to attack the desire. Why do I still have the desire to get high? The desire to use. If you don't attack that, get underneath that, get to the root of that, and it maintains and continues to exist, then it's just time before uh, the relapse ultimately comes to fruition. So in, in the way he phrases question in terms of what is the connection between relapse, and the, the, the connection is, is that if the desire is there, the relapse is going to occur. That's the connection. Um... La Quinta from El Cerrito. What is the most important thing besides a sober support group post-treatment? Post-treatment. I would say, Mr. Producer, the most important thing besides a sober support group is the uh, commitment to the new positive, constructive lifestyle that you have uh, embarked on and that uh, nothing no matter what you may encounter, no matter what experiences you may uh, experience, uh, will, you know, take you off course. You will deal constructively with whatever comes your way. And relapse is not an option. So what is what, all of what I said is what? That's attitude, that's uh, thought process, that's a mindset that's all undergirded by your commitment. Couldn't agree more. Hope that made sense. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Let's see. Nicole from San Francisco. I thought this was a good one. Um, It's going to take us back Back, 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 Mr. Producer. <laughs> we got a we got a little uh, Chris Berman impersonation there. What helpful hints do you have about staying clean that you would recommend to the kids? 
nowadays. That does. It takes me back to a place I'd rather not. Yeah, well, we. we <laughs> speaking of trust, we're you know, we're dealing with our own uh, issues from the kids. Yes. Twenty six years of uh, helping them, steering them onto the right path, simultaneously watching our back. Just kidding. <laughs> one um, thing I th- for me. I think one thing, working with the kids for the many years that we did, uh, there's a couple of takeaways. You couldn't fool them. You had to come correct. That's Uh, right. You had to be real. Um, You know, you couldn't – I mean, you just couldn't come to them with nonsense. Um, They they see see right – and I mean not just verbally, but just with your whole entire presentation. You had to just be who you are, be real, because otherwise they would just see right through you. Right. Right. and no matter no matter what we had at our disposal to help them with their addiction and the associated problems that came with it, mm-hmm. the one thing we could not help them with was their adolescence. Right. They just had to go through that. Yeah, you know what? And I'll say that was, and it's, what a perfect question when we're talking about trust. Mm -hmm. This was one of the biggest keys for me as a counselor with the adolescents as far as breakthrough and not so much them trusting to share their issues, but because you're still dealing with kids, having them buy into or trust that they haven't seen a rock bottom yet. Mm-hmm. They don't know what that is. They've gotten into some trouble. They're here with us now. Maybe they got some stuff going on in the courts, whatever the case may be. Granted, some of them had a lot of trauma in the background. Mm-hmm. Family life might not have been the best. But ultimately, when you're 16, 17, 15, 14, someone out there is still responsible for you. Mm-hmm. And to get them to buy into the fact that you might be able to get away with what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. I mean – you can look at what it's done for you so far. You've had to spend some time in juvenile hall. You're here with us now, but ultimately you can continue it and get away with it. And you'll still have a roof over your head and food on the table. Someone out there is responsible for Mm -hmm. you. What, what I need to get you to buy into is that it's not a light switch. You can't just turn it on and turn it off. Mm -hmm. You're not going to turn 18, turn 19, be responsible and just be able to say, Oh, now I need to stop. Mm -hmm. You're going to need to work on what it's going to take when you get to that point so you can accomplish that. And so I'm selling you something that you can't feel or touch. It's not tangible to you yet, but you got to take my word for it. If you continue to make decisions this way, when you're an adult, the ramifications are going to be serious. That was my biggest challenge. And I'll speak for myself. Mm -hmm. We had several counselors that worked with the adolescents, but that was my biggest challenge was to get them not to look at, the now, mm-hmm. which is basically all adolescents do anyway. Mm-hmm. Two hours is like two years for adolescents. Yep. But I'm really trying to get you to look two, three years in the future because yep. right now this might not be so bad for you, but it can get there and it will if you don't make that change. Yep. Agree 100%. Always use the 18-year-old marker as a as a almost like a hammer. Mm-hmm. That the world's going to look at you very differently That's when you turn 18. Oh, boy. That's exactly correct. All right, let's interrupt our X-Files to hit Uh-oh. John from Kansas. Welcome to the show. Thank you. 
You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, my question is, what is the percentage of um, recovery for young men in a intensive inpatient program? I'm going to let my producer answer the percentage statistical question. I'm the statistician. Bear in mind, I don't know if you were listening to the show, but I, earlier I, I repeat it. <laughs> earlier I stated there is um, there is a statistic out there that claims 47% of statistics are made up on the fly. So I'll let mm-hmm. you determine whether or not I'm making this up. <laughs> but um, when you say percentage of rec- recovery, are you talking about the percentage of people? who succeed in recovering that come into treatment? Yes. Okay, so there are two numbers, um, both daunting, but don't let this get you down. You asked the question, so I'm going to answer. Research has shown that for anybody who attempts to enter in recovery, meaning they've used drugs or been in some sort of what they would define as an addiction, not somebody else, um, and attempt to stop using or, or, or manage, get that addiction under control, it, less than 3% succeed in doing so. Um, and so you asked for program-specific. Um, I, I can't speak to programs, so what I'm saying is generally folks who use drugs who attempt to quit, 3% or less are successful in doing so. And then there is a qualifier, which is relapse. And so that includes a relapse. You can still be successful and have relapsed. That 3% includes that. Um, those who attempt to uh, get clean and sober and succeed in doing so without having ever had a relapse is less than 1.5%. This mm-hmm. research is about a year old. I haven't looked it up recently, but I've always remembered those numbers. Um, so you can see there's a – there is a large failure rate, but you have to bear in mind that this encompasses everybody. So this might be people who come into treatment who don't want to be there in the first place. They're just doing that to get out of jail time or so there's a lot of weeding out. You have to do with those numbers. This is just generally speaking. So here's, here's the part, here's the part two to that answer, John. Hogwash. I say, (laughs) so there there, there's a statistic that um, we used to have years ago, and it, we used to phrase it this way, that our success rate was 80% of the people who successfully completed and graduated our program five years later continue to be clean and sober. Mm-hmm. But we were just talking about our program. Right. Well, that's, that's very interesting. You know? so, so keep in mind, when they talk about that 1%, it could be 1% of 150 million. Okay. I'm just throwing a number out there. I'm not saying and it's it, and it probably, right. but And it probably is an incredibly large number. Yeah. I think all all, all or or the whole one percent is made up of OCG folks, <laughs> or the whole three right. percent. <laughs> Just kidding, you, John. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. 
All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Daytop used to push that stat. I think it was like the opening line in their uh, – do you, do you remember the old Daytopics magazine? I, you know what? Yeah, I am familiar with that actually. Okay, I have some. Remember, yeah, here, I have, I have seen some, one at some point. I have some in the archives if you ever want to take a look at them. Okay, <laughs> okay, nice. And so that was the number that they would have in there. Yeah, eighty percent. And just anecdotally, just being around, you could realistically see that it wasn't a made-up number. It wasn't a made-up number. Right, that, right, right. Know, if, if. If you, and, I remember and they, this, and they qualified it. And I remember this uh, when I used to do intake mm-hmm. for the adolescents that there was um, a page that we would always have them and then their social worker or parent or whoever that would sign off saying that we could do uh, outcome survey yeah. and wherever you're at a year from now, reach out to you to see how yeah. you were doing specifically to be able to qualify a statistic yeah. like that. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Um, Okay, remember, we get the questions from all the range from A to Z. That's right. Uh, Emmett, not Emmett Smith. (laughs) (laughs) What's Emmett got on his mind? From San Francisco. DUIs, could I live, and he has the word B, B B-E in parentheses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can I live functional at home, drinking after work? Bear in parentheses one or two. Sure, you can. I don't know what the, the just the way it's written. I don't know what the 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 the, the when it says DUI. So I can can I infer from that that <laughs> that he's had DUI. I would say so. Yeah. Um. All right. So he says I'm not going to drive. But if I'm just sitting at home having a couple of beers and I'm functional, functional means, you know, you go to if you have a job, you go to work and blah blah blah. You, you're in school, you go to school, mm-hmm. you still function. You know, your 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 use and or abuse has not gotten to the stage where you are no longer able to do the necessary things to advance your well-being, mm-hmm. right? Uh Look, truth be told, there's millions of people who come home from work every day and drink a beer or two. Absolutely. The question is whether or not that's something you need to do, want to do, should do, and what impact it's going to have on your life. Mm-hmm. That's a, I mean, and the only person that can answer that question is you. That's right. And we can't answer that. And this is why that statistic qualifies relapse in those percentages is because for some people, the only way to find out, give it a shot. See if you could stop at one or two. I don't advise it. If you've had some DUIs, that points to some things. But like like the host said, you can, but nobody knows but you. I'll try and blame it on us. <laughs> All right, moving right along. Consuelo from Union City. My daughter uses heroin. How do I get her into treatment? Consuelo, I have some very bad news. You cannot get her into treatment. 
you might be able to pave a path, open some doors, make some contacts, set some things up. But ultimately, she has to walk through the door. And that you cannot do for her. Um, That she has to do when she's ready. And so as hard as it is for parents and other loved ones to – they're wringing their hands at what they can do to help their loved ones who are struggling with addiction. And they sometimes uh, cross over the line of help into codependency (laughs) and start doing everything for them while they're sitting back smoking, drinking, and carrying on. Right. Again, I said you can try and pave a path. Well, what's the old expression? You can lead a horse to water. But you can't get it to drink. But you can't get it to drink. So you can lead her to the doorway, but she's got to break the threshold on her own. She's got to do it on her own. And as difficult as that is, as... uh, Hand wringing as that is, that's just the reality of addiction. Mm-hmm. It's not what you want. It's what they're ready to do. So true enough. We're experiencing it, you know, in our family. I mean, my my we've made no secret. My brother is still, you know, struggling. Yeah. And as bad as my mother wants him to be, right? Meaning, you know be well and, 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 and lick this alcohol thing. He's got to do it on his own. Yeah. So there's nothing anyone else can do. Uh, let's see. Who do we got on the line? Let's go to Jason from Concord. What do you all say in California? Concord? That's right. <laughs> Is that where they make Concord grapes? No, no. no? All right. Welcome to the show, sir. Hi. Hi. Um, the question I have is, um, say that you're in a situation where you haven't been able to speak to your parents for quite some time, maybe like a year and a half to two years, and um, maybe there's some legal trouble, like a, a restraining order due to some transgressions that happened when you were deep in your addiction. Um, How would you go about reestablishing a relationship with them if it's weighing heavily on you? I would engage the services of the United States Postal Service. Hmm. Do you know what I mean by that? I do. But according to, like, the restraining order, that's not really allowed to happen. So the way the restraining order is written, you cannot even send a letter. I believe so. It's a no-contact order. Yes. However, sometimes they don't mean contact Literally, they mean like 
or they don't mean is it figuratively I'm trying to say? Yes. They mean literal contact, like don't go over to the house and, you know, stay stay X amount of feet, stay, you know, 100 feet away, you know, things like that. Do you think they also mean it figuratively, like don't call, don't write, don't send any uh, telepathic communications, no telegraphs, no nothing, telegrams? Um, yeah, I, be- I believe that that kind of was stated, at least in the sense of telephone calls, I know for sure. So you 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 prefaced with that you know whatever went down that resulted in there being a restraining order you were deep in your addiction yes do your parents are they aware of your current status yes okay and how did they find out about that um well i've been in contact with my grandparents and my older brother who have been keeping them updated. Okay, so they were using the Concord grapevines, so (laughs) to speak, to coin a term or phrase. So I would say, all right, one second. Do you have any brothers or sisters? Yes, I have an older brother. Okay. And is he in their good graces? Yes. Okay. And is he a part of the grapevine? Yes. Okay. So have you spoken to the brother? Yes. And I've I've had a conversation with him where I've said that basically I miss them a lot and I want to apologize to them for what I did. Um And that information was, you know, brought to them, and uh, I was hoping, you know, that they might establish some connection with me, seeing as I had been in recovery for close to maybe six months at that point, um, as well as having nine months in county jail after the incident, so it had already been some time. Mm -hmm. But the message that came back was basically that they weren't ready yet, and they are still afraid of me due to what I had done. Okay. No worries. I think that the since the amount of time that has passed has been a year and change. Mm-hmm. And since there is grapevine communication going on, what you could do is still engage the services free of charge, of the United States Postal Service. They will come to your location, pick up your letter, and take it wherever the hell you address it to, and only charge you 46 and a half cents, or whatever the hell it is right now. Um, but seriously, I would do this. I would craft a letter to, the, to your parents, But send it to either your grandparents or your brother, whoever you think would be the best courier of that letter, and just have them deliver it. Mm -hmm. Okay? What's important for you, now we're just going to deal with you. Forget about your parents. Mm -hmm. What's very important for you is to have no expectation, don't set yourself up, no expectation of, 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 of a response 
that you may want or desire. We know what the human, and I emphasize what the human desire is. We know what that is. Yeah. Okay? But what we're asking is for you to understand that time is what is required. Now, for you, there may be a lot of time has passed. Mm-hmm. But we can't speak to them. All right. And by the way, how long has this addiction thing been going on for you? Um, about five or six years. Right. So that plays into their their thinking process. Is this for real? Is this serious? This change? This this attempt? This? You know what I'm saying? So you have to, you know, think about what, how they're thinking and, and what their mindset may be. So I think the circular route is better so that we don't get into any legal jams, avoid that. And I, I think the best advice I can give in terms of what you say in the letter is sincerity can jump off the page. Mm-hmm. And lack of sincerity can also jump off the page. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I've been in the process of trying to write a, a letter, and uh, it's it's taking me a while because I don't really um I don't know it's <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to say the right things or not. Then I have some more information for you, free of charge. Let your gut be your guide If your brain gets in the way You're just going to sit there with the pen Just Thinking of what to write Rather than just spilling What you feel Yeah That is what hits people When they can feel What you're saying yeah. It, trust me, someone can receive a letter from somebody and tell that this is just brain talk here <laughs> versus something else that just hits them because of how it's worded and where it comes from. You can tell when it comes from deep within somebody. And that doesn't require you, I mean, the, your hand will do the writing when it comes from your gut. Your hand will just flow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So whatever it is that you deeply feel, allow that to be expressed on paper. And then you can read it back to yourself. And don't make the, the mistake that people make is once they, once they, uh, you know, they, 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 they put their feelings down on paper as they really feel, okay, they then read it back to themselves and they say, oh, my goodness, this is too much. Or my, I, I may I may have exposed too much of myself here, or or I'm I'm afraid of what you know, you know what what the response may be. No, you just want to let them know how deeply, deeply, deeply sorry you are for what you have caused. And the only way to for that to come across is for you to speak from your heart. Yeah, not from your brain. Thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate it. 
No problem. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Yep. I remember when I wrote the letter. Mm-hmm. The letter. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's – there's two ways of writing it. You can sit there, you know, pounding the pen on the paper, thinking of the words to write when the words aren't upstairs in your brain. Right. And that's when you sit there with the pen just pounding, pounding, pounding. Hmm, what, you know, what should I write? What should I write? What should I write? But when you reach deep inside, it just flows. Yeah. You might shed a few tears during the middle of the writing, and that's okay because that's from where it's coming from. Right. And that will jump off the page, and people will feel that. Of course, yeah. You don't want to – if you're thinking of what to say, that's because there's an objective. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're after – you're ga- trying to gain something. You're after something. And then it will come across as such, maybe manipulative, or we've heard this before. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're coming from the heart, there's a little more, it's a little more pure. Mm-hmm. And even though you, there is an objective and you are trying to gain something, that's not how it's coming across. It's kind of like, I just need to say this for me, and yeah. I'd like you guys to hear it. And then that natural progression will lead to where it is you're trying to go in the first place. I wrote three letters when I was in treatment. I didn't have to write my parents because I already spoke to them before I left. Um, so my two older sisters and Joe, my best friend, Okay. all three of them said they cried when they read my letters. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it was felt, it was felt. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that's my, my, their response had, was not any intention of mine. I was just laying out to them, my feelings, mm-hmm. you know, and, and purging it from me. So whether or not I would have ever known, you know, that when Joe would tell me that when I read your letter, I, you know, I cried when I read your letter. Um, I, it wouldn't have made a difference to me in terms of how I wrote it. Yeah. I was just pouring out my feelings. So that's what you got to do. You got to, yeah. you know, otherwise, uh, oh, he's back to his old tricks again. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm not going to fall for that this time. Exactly. Exactly. Next thing you know, it'll be the letter for, can I get $20? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You don't want to, you, you've got to avoid even if you don't mean to do it when you're thinking about it, then it's going to come across as if you tried to word this just perfectly mm-hmm. like a salesman. Yeah. And that's not what you're trying to do. Yep. It's got to be about you. All right. Let me go back to the X-Files. How are we doing on time, sir? Oh, we are good on time, sir. You've got about 12 minutes All or right. so. Good. Um, Joe, speaking of Joe, from Holland Park, says, I can hold my liquor, but my wife says I'm an alcoholic. Is that true? (laughs) Hell yeah, you're an alcoholic. If your wife says you're an alcoholic, you're an alcoholic. Yeah. That term's not getting thrown around lightly, Joe. Nope. I'm sure it didn't. It's not the first time she said it either. All right. Uh, Patsy from Mountain View. I don't know what it is about alcohol today. 
what would you consider excessive alcohol use? The fact that you use the word excessive is what I would consider excessive alcohol use. <laughs> right. Um, what would be excessive alcohol use? Well, well you could use the... Uh... You could use the legal limit, the legal blood alcohol mm-hmm. driving limit as one barometer. Yeah. Um, other than that, it's it, it would be it's hard to quantify because well, somebody it, can have a half a glass of wine. Yeah, and be I mean, done some, for. Someone I, could have three beers. You had no idea they even had a drink. I can. The legal limit in California is point zero eight, if I'm not mistaken. That is exactly correct. Level. So if I had that, I'd be under the table with IVs and uh, emergency <laughs> services <laughs> right? on, on, on standby. Yeah. But somebody else, you know, I've seen guys in the supermarket in front of me with two cases of, of Coronas or Budweiser's or whatever, you know, football games coming on. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, how can someone drink that much? Right. In one sitting. And what are they like? You know, when they're done. Once, yeah, right. That's the big question. So another excessive is when I mean I used to say, look, if you you start to lose control, exactly a bit. when you don't know what you're saying or what you're doing, motor skills are not functioning properly. But usually by that time, you don't know that you drank too much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> by that time, it's too late. You're beyond the point exactly. of no return. So. Don't drink. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's see. Moving right along. Ethan from Redwood City, local boy. What are good meds? Hear this now. What are good meds to get on get on when getting off of meth in recovery? How about none? How about none, Ethan? What do you mean, what, what are good meds to get on? To my knowledge, as far as I know, and again, our disclaimer, neither one of us are doctors, but methamphetamine has not been deemed a physically addictive drug that may require some yeah, uh, drug therapy, med- drug you know, some medical medication assistance to wean you off, et right. cetera, et cetera. That's correct. That's not to say that the you know, stopping is not difficult and does not have its paying the piper impact. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But are you kidding me? Yeah, let's not seek it out there, my friend. Otherwise, you might as well just keep doing the meth. Didn't mean to be harsh, Ethan, but Judas Priest. <laughs> and I think they're getting back together, too. Well, there you go. <laughs> Um, I can't understand the first name. It's kind of some funny writing, but uh, hometown is Frisco. I don't know if that's Frisco, Texas, or Frisco, San you Francisco. You can assume that's San Francisco, California. Uh, all I do is drink. If I hang around smokers, would that affect me in any way? All I do is drink. If I hang around with smokers, yeah, you'd end up drinking and smoking. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure what that one was about. We're being too harsh today? No, being direct. We're not pulling any punches. 
Sam from Concord, another Concord boy. Are there healthy addictions? I'm going to say the word yes, and but caveat my answer because the the, the word addiction, addiction yeah. is loaded. It's a loaded term, loaded word. We've already made that clear. So someone who is engaging in positive, constructive behavior, something they enjoy, such as a hobby, okay, you know, People might playfully say, oh, he's addicted to his trains or his planes or his stamp collection or a golf or whatever. Right. These are positive and constructive things that have no, at least we believe, no negative impact on the person's life unless they're spending all their money. Well, and that's the answer right there is if there becomes or there is a negative impact at some point, I think that's when it becomes under the category of addiction. Mm-hmm. Because there is a difference between addictions and hobbies yeah. or addictions and personal interests. Yeah. When negative consequences Stop start there. to impact your life, then it's safe to say that that hobby has maybe become something more. Yeah. It's starting to turn the corner. Uh, let's see. I say you go shot in the dark, no screen, screen free. How, how are you on time? Roll the dice. We got five minutes. Oh, enough uh, time I, for mystery caller. So we'll take a, a mystery call, and then uh, maybe I got time for one more um, X Files. We'll see how I'm feeling. All right. Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your name and your hometown, please? Uh, my name is Ryan, and my hometown is San Mateo. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to the show. How can we help you? Uh, I was trying to figure out how to go to parties and stay sober. You mean other than not drinking and Uh, using? Like nothing. The question becomes, can you you put yourself in that environment and, uh, and, and, and do that? It's not how. It's are you ready and are you are you ready and willing and able? Yeah. How people do it is that they're committed to a certain lifestyle that doesn't involve, you know, using and, and drinking and, and carrying on like that. And they can go to clubs and parties and whatnot, and enjoy themselves clean and sober. But they've committed to that. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. There's no magic to it. They've just said, hey, I'm not about that anymore. I'm not interested in doing that anymore. I don't desire it anymore. But I do like going out dancing and hanging out with my friends and so on and so forth. And they're able to do it. You understand? Yeah, yeah. So that's the point that you have to get to. Okay? Yeah, yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. 
you've heard my familiar refrain. I'd like to counsel all of my clients to be able to, you know, whatever their interests are. Some people like dancing and clubbing. Be able to go in that environment right. and right. enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself, and yeah. Without, you know, worrying about uh, what other people are doing and how that's going to impact you. Absolutely. Do I have time for the next files? Yeah, we have time for the next files. LaShawn from Menlo Park. I heard word on the street is that marijuana is a gateway drug, question mark. Is that true? And is it the only gateway drug? So, LaShawn, your sources are correct. Marijuana is a gateway drug. And by gateway, we mean quickly, Mr. Producer. Leads to other things, opens the floodgates, so to speak, to flow down the river wherever the water may take you. <laughs> what, a, what a glowing image. <laughs> and uh, are there other gateway drugs? Uh, yes, I think uh, at the top of the list would be uh, cigarettes. Cigarettes. Alcohol can be a gateway drug. But I think if we were to say which one tops the list, Cigarettes? I think cigarettes, well, yes, would have to come first. Alcohol and marijuana you could probably throw into the same category. Yeah. And quite honestly, although cigarettes and the other two we mentioned typically are the ones that will happen first, making them the gateway drug, any drug you do first, anytime your mind has clicked off from the D.A.R.E. program you mm-hmm. went and heard in elementary school. And I always wonder, when, when, when did that happen? When did, the, when did the D.A.R.E. program just go out the window for them? Right, and, and you've made the decision that today, this Saturday night at 14 or 18 or 21, I'm going to try something I know I shouldn't. That right there is the gateway. Mm-hmm. That usually happens to be cigarettes, weed, or alcohol. I got another irony for you. Uh-oh. How much time do I got? You got two minutes. Okay. Today, okay. okay, in today's culture of marijuana use, sure, they use the tobacco to roll the marijuana. Is that right? You know, the blunts. Yeah, right. right. Okay. The cigar. Yeah. Right? Right. And little do they realize that they are simultaneously addicting themselves to the nicotine in the tobacco. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The double, the double whammy. And so when, well, hear me now, hear, hear where I'm going with this. So someone who's smoking these blunts every day and the thinking may be that they're addicted to the marijuana when the possibility may be that they may be addicted to the nicotine in the, I don't know what else to call it, the blunt paper right. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what that they're be. using that has nicotine in it. Huh. That's, that's interesting. That's a, a, I don't know if I can trademark or, or copyright that theory. If we can, it's been done. You heard it here first, Roach on Recovery. It's in the archives. Yep. It's time stamped. Uh, but that's interesting. No, that that is an interesting one because, yeah, like you said, the the thought process is probably not there mm-hmm. when they're doing that. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, whatever feeling you're getting, that's a hybrid feeling. Yep. It's it's a combination. 
and you might not be able to differentiate the two. And you, so you might be getting a twofer in terms of the uh, the drug addiction. My goodness gracious! Without without realizing it. Boy, yeah, that would be an interesting study. Uh, yeah, that would be an interesting study. That would be an interesting study. You, you would have to conduct it in uh, Denver or, <laughs> or, or wherever. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, that would be an interesting one to see what the or, outcome of that would be. Or maybe California after maybe November. California soon enough. <laughs> That's right. Great. All right. All right. Well, there you go. Anything you're going to cut me off, I'm sure, at some point. You sure you got everything out there? Uh no, we'll be able to report back on – we want to report back from our correspondent on our – We will. Uh, Juan Carlos. We will two weeks uh, two from now. Two weeks from now, and uh, we should be uh, closing out the preseason by right. the time we're back on the air. That's right. Two and three might yep. be done by that point. So, all right, folks. Well, again, we thank everybody who called in to listen and or called in to participate in the Recovery Support Time segment. We appreciate all the ongoing support that we continue to get. Uh, thank you, folks, for who have checked us out in the archives as well and caught up on some other shows. You'll have another opportunity to do so next Tuesday if you're getting used to this whole gig that we do on Tuesdays because we won't be coming back at you for another couple of weeks. But we wish everybody a safe couple of weekends, productive couple of weeks, and we will catch you all toward the end of August. Take care.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.